0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam and this is Words With Women. Welcome back to another episode of Words With Women. On this episode, our guest is Dr. Ruth C. White, a diversity trainer, stress management expert, and mental health activist who is committed to creating healthier and happier workplaces, classrooms, and communities. Dr. White's keynotes and workshops focus on stress management, preventing burnout and compassion fatigue, mental health stigma, and diversity, equity, inclusion. On today's episode, we will talk about mental health and wellness, especially within the context of the long-running pandemic. So join us for words of advice, words of wisdom on your bio-weekly podcast, Words with Women. Welcome back to Words with Women. For today's episode, we're joined by Dr. White. Thank you, Dr. White, for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And we're also joined by Anisha, who is a a member at Women in Management Network. Welcome back, Anisha. Hello. Happy to be here. I'm super excited to be here today and talk about mental health and how the pandemic has impacted a lot of people. And I guess to start, Dr. White, I would like to know how did your passion for mental health and well-being start?
1: It's actually a personal story. So it's personal, but it's also professional. So I was trained as a social worker. So obviously mental health was part of what I did every day working with youth. And I that was right after I went to I after I went to Ottawa, I went to McGill, and I did a bachelor's in social work and a master's in social work there. So I've always been in the mental health field. I was not a therapist, however, and mental health was the scope of what I did, but generally it was about linking kids to resources, et cetera, but obviously I would do counseling sessions and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, how I got into mental health and stress management specifically was that I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about 10 years ago, something like that. And so... Out of that, I learned a lot about bipolar disorder, ended up writing a couple books about it. And the thing that I started to realize early on in my own mental health journey was that stress was a key factor in symptoms. Mm -hmm. And over time, I learned that um, stress related disorders was the number one reason that people go to the doctor. And, and so and it's a lifestyle problem that leads to a lot of health issues, whether it's hypertension, or cardiovascular illness, people having like tension, headaches, physical pain, etc. So that's how I came to say, well, okay, if I'm going to intervene, in the mental health space, stress management was the space to be in because it was such a driving factor in the mental and physical health of a lot of people. So for example, stress will trigger symptoms of anxiety or depression mm-hmm. and long-term stress will make people anxious and depressed as well as, you know, more irritable, more likely to have anger issues, etc. So that's why I picked stress management and then, you know, started doing workshops and then I was... I did a a book called the Stress Management Workbook and another book since then. So um, Stress Management Workbook was published in 2018, and that's led to a lot of things like this podcast.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So shifting this more towards speaking of the pandemic, what are the main ways that the pandemic has affected the wellness and well-being of individuals?
1: So that's a very good question because in the last year, I've been very busy doing stress management workshops as well as doing podcasts like this and different sort of wellness things with healthcare providers, et cetera. And the data has shown that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected people in a lot of different ways. And so the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention based in Atlanta, which is the US government's public health arm, has done a lot of research into mental health impacts. And it turns out that it has affected everyone, all the different ethnic groups, age groups, etc. There's been some differential impact with the the eldest people actually having less mental health impacts and the, mm-hmm. the theory is that basically they've gone through a lot more in their lives so they're a lot more resilient and that the younger people like 18 to 29 are having a really hard time because developmentally this is a time where they would be socializing and hanging out with their friends etc and this is the first big thing that they've had to deal with so of course it's going to be harder on them so one of the things that has been shown is that people are having more anxiety more depression Cigna, which is a huge um, health insurance and healthcare, they they also have pharmacies. And they realized early on in the pandemic that there were increases, significant increases in prescriptions for anti anxiety medications. So they could see it. So they, they weren't looking at the diagnosis, they were just looking at um, the pharmaceutical industry and how that was being affected. So people, I mean, one of the things that has, that was really problematic in the beginning is lack of knowledge, right? So yeah. you're in the middle of a crisis and you don't know anything and everything they're telling you, they're like, we don't really know what's going on. That's anxiety provoking because you're hearing that there's a deadly disease out there and the people that should know don't know. Don't know. And exactly. So that sort of insecurity can cause a lot of stress on people. It can impact your sleep, you start to worry more. There's also the impact of people with family members who are also having COVID. The huge other part, of course, is the social isolation is huge, right? Because Mm -hmm. in a normal situation, where you're under a lot of stress, you reach out to friends and family for support. Yeah, And now you can't reach out to friends and family for support. I mean, you can, but I tell people like, you can't hug them, exactly. It, right? Exactly. Um, and hugging is actually creates a physical positive response. Oxytocin is released. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling. You feel loved, you feel cared about. And so that's actually a thing. A hug actually impacts both your physical and your mental health. Touch, we know is really important for people, for human beings, mm-hmm got tons of studies on what happens when people are not touched right and so that has been huge right cut down on travel huge you can't go anywhere so now you're stuck at home for a lot of people who have children it's been extremely difficult because especially if they have a partner So, I mean, I remember the interview I was having for the job I have now and was in the middle of the interview and the executive who's interviewing me, his kid wanders into the room and I think like his dog or something, and he's kind of like trying to get rid of people. And, and I just said to him, I'm like, look, it's 2020, you know, what you're going to do, right? And so people have had to, you know, share an office space with their partner or roommate For me, it's our dining table I share with my roommate and this is where we have meetings and we have to like coordinate like, oh, I have an interview at 11. Oh, I have a meeting at noon. We don't have kids, but imagine now throwing two kids and you're trying to homeschool two kids and the two kids want your attention. You also have a dog and a cat, which I have had people, their dog starts barking, they're closing the door, but the dog's still barking out there. So all of that has just added like all these stressors to people and it's not as if like North Americans were not already stressed out, right? That's just kind of our base (laughs) line. That's just not how we function. It's like in America, you brag about how much work you do and how stressed Mm -hmm. out you are and how in demand you are. And all of that, you know, kind of makes you feel better that everybody wants to talk to you and you're so important. Then you put COVID on top of that. And then the last thing is like the media situation, right? So Mm -hmm. you need to listen to the media because you need to figure out what's going on, right? But I always tell people the news should have before it a bracket that says bad news, mm-hmm. right? Because when we listen to the news, it's not a lot of good news. There's like the random human interest story that takes three minutes, like, oh, the firefighter survived the cat or whatever it is. But generally speaking, it's a lot of bad news. And so we're listening to the news, we're listening to death counts, right? They call it doom scrolling on social media right that's the term Mm -hmm. that is used but just think about it like we listen to the news and they're telling you 200,000 people have died 300,000 people died there is all there's a new outbreak here they tell you okay now you can't go to restaurants oh now you can go to restaurants oh wait no you can go outside oh wait outside is like that human beings like routine they like stability the instability of ever changing circumstances like and so (laughs) we're living with that (laughs) I haven't seen my sister in more than a year. I haven't seen my parents in Jamaica in more than a year because they're in their 80s and none of us want to put them at Mm -hmm. risk. Yeah. But then again, like we haven't seen my parents in more than a year. Mm -hmm. You know, these are hard. This is hard for them even more than us because all three of us live thousands of miles away.
0: The isolation is I feel it's a big factor just from Mm -hmm. my own experience a couple of my friends at least I've heard three people lost their parents and they were not able to attend like the funerals or even say bye and they were in different countries so they were not even able Mm -hmm. to attend or like be in that Mm -hmm. area or anything Mm -hmm. so I do definitely believe that as you said like isolation
2: is like the cherry on the cake it's Mm -hmm. it's what makes everything worse. I think COVID has just made us all appreciate human interaction, like physical interactions with Mm -hmm. each other so
1: much
0: more. For sure. Speaking more about the impact of the pandemic on everyone, Mm -hmm. would you say that the pandemic is impacting minorities? more than other people?
1: Well, it really depends on the group, the ethnic group, right? But generally speaking, I always tell people, whenever you have a marginalized population, whatever impacts the majority or the the power majority, right, is gonna impact the lesser minorities in terms of political power, et cetera. It's gonna impact them more, right? Because often they have less access to healthcare services. They're already at risk because of um, the stress of oppression and discrimination, prejudice, all of those, you know, all the isms, right? And so when it comes to ethnic groups, especially in the United States, African-Americans were at higher risk so I've been Latinx communities because they already had certain risk factors that have now proven to be problematic with regard to COVID. So, for example, African-Americans have a significantly higher rate of obesity and mm-hmm. obesity has been shown to put people more at risk for COVID, and also when they get COVID, they have more severe symptoms and are less likely to survive. So the death rate is significantly higher when you have obesity. They also have higher rates of diabetes and cardiovascular illnesses. So all those things compound the impact of um, COVID. Also, cultural and ethnic minorities, they do a lot of the frontline work right? So they're doing the things that you can't do from home. So they are required to get up, get on a bus often. Um, So they're going on public transit and they are going to a job that puts them usually in contact with people. So they are the grocery store workers. They are the people that do janitorial work. They might work in hospitals, you know, whether as a nurse or front facing jobs, right? So admin jobs, et cetera. So they work also in retail settings, right? Restaurants, that kind of thing. So because they tend to be in the service industries that cannot be done from home, they're more at risk because they're more, they're interacting more with the public. They were Mm -hmm. also in the beginning, not able to access all the PPP, all the protective gear that they needed to protect them from COVID. And so that's been an issue. There have been strikes, right? And people, marches and stuff of um, frontline workers saying, hey, we don't get enough PPP. Also, what's happened like in the city of Oakland has said that frontline workers, especially grocery workers, should be given basically hazard pay and yeah. so like Whole Foods, which is just down the road for me, which is owned by Amazon, and I was doing like a part- time gig there shopping for people, they got an increase of five dollars an hour at mm-hmm. the beginning of February because there was an acknowledgement that they were putting themselves more at risk and they should basically get hazard pay for the fact that they've been showing up to work every day making sure that people can buy their groceries and do all of that. So all those things. And then, of course, there's the distrust. So for Latinx communities, especially in African American communities, there's been a long history of problematic relationships with the healthcare system, right? So the healthcare Mm -hmm. system has victimized them, using them, you know, in experiments, etc. And so there was a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories that people had about, well, we are having a more significant impact from COVID, is this deliberate? Do I really want to go to the hospital? Mm -hmm. Are they going to take care of me? Are they going to take me seriously? So so there is already this distrust of the healthcare system at a time when you really need to trust the healthcare system, right? And so it just compounded. And so the rates of illness, like in certain parts of the Bronx, for example, in New York, the rates were factors higher than in like the Upper East Side in, the mm-hmm. si- in New York City, right? So people in the, that working class neighborhood in the Bronx, because, you know, and again, things like taxi drivers, like all these things um, made them more susceptible and as well put them at risk for more severe illness and then less access to healthcare, so.
0: We can see like, it definitely impacts like people differently and depends on all their job. Like, as you said, some people are essential <laughs> workers, they don't have the privilege to actually quarantine without going to work or uh, how would they pay the bills or take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But speaking of coping mechanisms, how do you think, how differently do you think people are coping with that, with the pandemic or what are the different ways people are using?
1: Yeah. So I would say that the first thing that people are doing is shifting their connection to the internet, right? So more video calls, which is interesting. I don't know. It's, I also think it's generational. Like I mean, I do video calls with my daughter, but not really with my sister. Like we just talk on the phone or text back and forth. but a lot of, you know, elderly, etc. are learning to use technology so that they can FaceTime or, you know, Facebook, whatever system, their WhatsApp, yeah. their blah, 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 to do facial, you know, here's my apartment, here's what I fixed up, here's my plant, here's what I'm cooking for dinner, all that kinds of things to kind of to engage with each other beyond like just a voice, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to connect across the ether. Some people have also gotten into self-care more, right? So people have done things like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get my fitness game up or I'm going to lose weight because clearly, you know, being overweight or being obese is going to put me at higher risk of any sort of illness. So people are trying to take care of themselves more. So that's a coping mechanism there's been a lot of <laughs> I'm sure you've all seen it like people cooking right yes. so, all, so my roommate she's been cooking recipes or whatever watching people on YouTube cooking baking everybody was doing bread for a minute yes I um, remember
0: that yeah thing.
1: and cakes <laughs> and whatnot pies and they're posting them on Facebook yeah because now you're at home right the other thing yeah. people have been doing is watching a lot of movies and video yeah. and streaming and of course the streaming companies I to my sister i don't even know what i have anymore and i don't know where they're connected like i think i have hbo max and i know i have amazon i know i have amazon prime and Netflix, i know i have food i have Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> do i have the cbs prime access i'm not sure did I get the peacock thing and they're all like $4,993 and they all gave specials right so it was like oh for the first three months it's $10 and then and I told my sister one day I'm just gonna sit down and go through my credit cards and go okay this one I don't even use this one like what is this one right yeah. Um because I would join one just to see one movie oh right God. I'm like oh. and then you
0: forget about it <laughs> and then somehow for- and then
2: like- exactly
1: right so that's yeah. one of the ways that we've all been coping and the media companies know this right so that's why they're just sending us more and more deals to get us to watch. Um, Gyms have closed which again has taken away one way that people can stay healthy and have healthy habits and get support and all that. So people have also now been working out from home. My company has remote meditation and remote yoga. So they've found resources for their employees to continue self care practice in ways that make sense for them. I also think there's been things like people checking in on the elderly. My apartment building, we started like a resource table where people could put notices like I'm gonna go to grocery store on Wednesdays if you you know if you have a need something high risk and then we also had like a 6 p.m thing in our apartment where everybody came out on their decks and in the courtyard and just said hi so which was interesting because we'd never done that before in our apartment Mm -hmm. and so we got to know each other who's your
0: neighbor and yeah and it was
1: like yeah and it was like 6 p.m every day we would just go outside or sit on the Or they would sit on their balcony and we were all like how are you doing and people talked about work and their families and hobbies and we made jokes we drank wine together like all remotely and i think that's something i was saying to someone that maybe we should keep it up but yeah so i i think that we've been trying it's Mm -hmm. really
0: beautiful Mm -hmm. to see how people has been like really creative in ways they uh-huh. they got in yeah. to talk to each other or even connect
1: yeah and watch parties which like i think amazon has a watch party netflix has a watch party thing where yeah. you can you can sit around the world and watch, watch something with your family or friends and do texting or whatever we're doing it at work the software is not as easy as it should be (laughs) but I was like by the time the pandemic's done they're probably going to get that sorted out yeah yeah
2: -hmm. Yeah, no it's great how technology has allowed us to be more adaptable during these times Mm -hmm. I hadn't even heard of zoom before the pandemic began so (laughs) me too
1: (laughs) I was using it because I taught online for seven years so okay. the pandemic was actually, I think, harder on me in some ways, because for a lot of my friends, they liked the idea of working from home. They're like, yeah, exactly. no commute, and everything. And I'm like, I've been home for seven years. And now you're just making the home smaller, yeah. you know, because all the things that you would do when you work from home to engage with people, like go to cafes, go to work, remote working places, whatever, all of that was gone. And yeah. you've been home all the time. So you were the isolated person and all the other people are just happy to be home. And you're like, okay this is just more of the same but more restrictive than it used to be exactly. so, so yeah so I was I was teaching with zoom for at least a year or two before the pandemic. nice mm-hmm.
0: wow well going back to the impact of uh COVID and mental health and and we know that there's a lot of stigma that comes with mental health mm-hmm. how can we go get over the stigma of talking about mental health and just normalizing these Talks and conversations, especially in this time?
1: I think having more of these, right? So I've, had a, I've been on a lot of podcasts talking about the stigma of mental health and I've been talking about it you know, for more than a decade and especially in, in communities like African-American communities, et cetera. And I think part of it is, you know, especially with immigrant cultures where they come from places where um, just because of the nature of the way their culture operates, um, the concept of mental health is totally different And I tell people, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just not called mental health, right? It's like, you know, when people are grieving, for example. So if you think Mm -hmm. like places like Italy and traditional small Italian towns, women wear black, like if you're a widow, you wear black for a long time. Well, that's a signal to people, right? That I am grieving. And that's a public demonstration of a certain mental health status. So that even though you're not calling it mental health and you're not going to therapy, that that is a signal for the rest of this, the community to know that this person has lost somebody important and mm-hmm. this is important for them. And so, Cultures have evolved in ways where their social support networks, their faith things. So you might go to a healer and you get a candle or whatever it is that you would normally do. So I think the concept of mental health in the North American and Western European imagination has been more of the, there is something wrong with you. You cannot function. You need to be put away somewhere, mm-hmm. right? We are slowly shifting from that. And I think places like Northern California, California and New York, where therapy is so normal. It's like having a therapist is like having, I don't know, more people go to a mental health therapist than a massage therapist probably, right? <laughs> just It's just normal to go and get a checkup and people are now understanding that you don't need a diagnosis to go Mm -hmm. and talk to a mental health professional, which is actually a good thing because for a long time, mental health was a place that you only went if you were like at the end of your rope, right? Mm -hmm. So as a social worker, I knew that when people came to a social worker, they talked to their friends and their mom and their aunt and all of these people before they came to a social worker, right? Because that was like a last resort, like, okay, we can't fix this. We need to go get help. Mm-hmm. Now there's more a sense of, you know what, I'm facing this challenge at work and let me go talk to somebody about how to handle it better. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a shift from there's something wrong with me to, oh, this person is a resource. Mental health practitioners are a resource for me to tap into whenever i think i need support versus i need to go there fire diagnosis for some medication yeah get a label go spend a week in a facility etc so i think that's been good also think more people telling their stories about recovery from mental illness so then people feel that okay this is not like a life sentence my life isn't over I can manage my illness and have a career and have a family and have healthy relationships. So the more stories that people tell of recovery and resilience and thriving, the less likely people are to stay away because of fear and not knowing what will happen. Right. So it's kind of like anything else. It's kind of like, oh, that's how that happens. Okay. Well, that's not so bad. I think, again, a lot of insurance companies don't cover mental health unless you have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I think that will have to be sort of the final step because a lot of people can't afford because mental health is not cheap. Like in Northern California, it's probably somewhere between 200 and $400 a session. So if your insurance company is not paying for it, how many people have, you know, $1, a yeah. $1,000 a month? Can you, you afford it? it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I think that is one of the last sort of barriers that just like you go to a doctor, you don't wait until you have a heart attack to go to a doctor. You go to a doctor every year or every six months, you get your blood work done, you get your mammogram, you get all these things. Mental health should be part of that mm-hmm. checkup situation so that again, it would just be part of health right? And not just like this special thing you go to. It should just be part of like, you get weight, you get your blood pressure check, you get your blood work done, you get a mental health assessment done. It's all, it should just be part of your holistic health package. And that Mm -hmm. would stigmatize it a lot because guess what? Then everybody is getting a mental health assessment, everybody. Mm -hmm. So then it's not just a special group of people, right? And then yeah. it would also improve mental health because you could see people were at risk
2: mm-hmm.
1: before Definitely. they have chronic mental illness, for example.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's actually a really good point, because I know there's a lot of stress and emphasis on, especially in like the finance industry, mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, get ready to work 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. like It's something that you're proud of almost, but then what kind of Uh toll does that take on mental health, especially during the pandemic when you can't really have an escape Uh from it? So that's very
1: true. I would say, what's the point of making all this money if you can't spend it and have fun with it, right? (laughs)
0: So uh, we're pretty much towards the end of our episode and thank you so much for joining us. we can going move to the rapid three, two, one. So for the first question, it will have a three-word answer. The second one will have a two-word answer and the last one will have a one-word answer. Starting with the first question, what are the three values that got you where you are today?
1: I would say creativity is one. I would say kindness is another. And I would say kind of like faith, like in fellow human beings. Yeah. You know, their capacity for growth and kindness and all of those things.
0: Definitely. Those are great ones. And for the second question, what are the two things that make you feel motivated or inspired?
1: I think gratitude is huge. And it's probably one of those values I should have included in this. Because for me, it's like, do you know how worse your life could be right now? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work for everybody. You know, some people hate when people say, well, it could be worse. And they get really annoyed and, you know. (laughs) people always say that's not the way to help people but for me it's always like it works for me
0: honestly everyone is different and I always say this like whatever works for someone might not work for someone Mm -hmm. else so Mm -hmm. if if it Mm -hmm. works for one person that's definitely what matters
1: Mm -hmm.
0: your experience
2: has shaped you so
1: yep
0: and we have a last question which is what is one skill that you think is important in all aspects of life
1: To look for the good in all situations. If You can practice that. You're going to be kind of way happier. Sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of the times it's not. And it's not to go through the world Pollyannish where you're like, oh, everything's just great all the time. And, you know, this person got murdered and there's an upside to that. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that bad things are always going to happen. That's just life. Bad things are going to happen. So sort of like acceptance of that and then going, okay, well, how do then you deal with when the bad things do happen, right? And so I I guess the word for that is resilience. Like people can build resilience that Mm -hmm. they will then bounce back from From all sorts of-
0: Resilience is pretty much the word for like the whole year. Like everyone's been talking more about resilience and the benefit of Mm -hmm. it, especially in these times. So uh, Mm -hmm. it is definitely a crucial uh, skill and quality that makes life better.
2: Yeah, I was going to say like optimism- is really important too because everybody's looking for the next good thing coming out of this and looking forward to getting out of this situation and the good that will come next
0: thank you so much for joining us thank you for uh sharing with us all your experiences and your knowledge pretty sure people would benefit from it as well and thank you you